Welcome to the Black Queen's Republic, guys. I'm so sorry, like, you know, a bitch needed to get her life together, got a new job, and it's, I was stressed, you know, but we're back, we're back. And today I have my good, good friend, Muluba. Muluba is an HIV activist and a communication specialist. Um, and I'll let her tell you guys a little bit about herself and how she got where she is today. Hello, thank you so much for having me, JJ, and welcome back. Congratulations on the new job. I'm sure thank your you. listeners missed you. I know I missed the topics, mm -hmm. um, and I'm really excited to be here today. Um, I have been on the podcast before for uh, prior topics, but I do feel I'm quite an expert on this topic. I have mm -hmm. been working in the HIV field in some capacity, volunteer, part-time, um, consultation, full-time uh, since 2014. And I've been living with HIV all my life, 27 years. I was born with it and diagnosed at two years old. I lost both my mother and my father to the virus. Mm -hmm. um, I am of Zambian descent. Oh, blah, 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 blah. where am I Zambians at? Um, <laughs> born in England and have been living in the Toronto area for many, many years now. Um, so have transitioned from being a child living with HIV to a young adult living with HIV and soon mm -hmm. going to be a, 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 a big woman living with HIV. So, uh, yeah, that's a little bit about me and around HIV. Like Jane said, I'm a communication specialist, so I do a lot of public speaking on it, research on it, um, advocacy on it, on HIV, uh, amongst other things. Um, communications is what I love to do. Sometimes I talk a little too much. I know JJ's nodding. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, that's it about me, and I can't wait to dive into the conversation. I met Muluba through her work in the industry. I have also been working in this sector for a very, very long time. I started by volunteering um, when I was in high school, making ribbons for World AIDS Day. I think I made like 500 ribbons. Um, and so that's how I got introduced to the industry. And then over the years, just really being interested in, in the field. Now, I want to know, is it that you found yourself just naturally working in the industry or did you feel like because you were living with HIV, you had your purpose was to work in the field and, and raise awareness? So for me, my HIV, what, growing up, it was a secret. Of course, this was something to be shameful about. Mm -hmm. We didn't want um, people gossiping about our family. Um, so it was something that had to be a lockdown secret. Not that as a child, I really trusted anybody, you know, who was a fellow child to keep this secret. Mm -hmm. um, and by the time I was 19, I had lost both my parents and got into a really depressive uh, phase. And when I was 21, I kind of found myself again or rediscovered myself and didn't have any shame about this virus and I studied journalism school and thought that you know as I'm asking other people's stories I want to share my own so that's actually when I publicly disclosed my status I didn't want to tell people one-on-one -on -one. it just felt like a lot of work to do like just you know when you over exhaust yourself because you're yes. constantly talking yes yeah, so mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I was just like oh let me just do a YouTube video and everybody can watch it um 
whenever they please. So that's when I actually disclosed and then people kind of found me and it was a selfish reason. It was for myself why I disclosed. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, I wanted to, you know, hope a, another little girl watches it and it's fine with herself, but it was very selfish to me. But people found me and I would volunteer at organizations, definitely want to give back. And it just organically happened that I got more and more into the sector as I uh, perked up my communication skills, as I learned more about the backdoor business of, you know, the healthcare environment. That it just happened, I got thrown into it mm-hmm. and realized that I love most parts of it and want to be involved in some capacity. Do you see yourself continuing HIV work or do you think that maybe a few years from now you're going to venture out? I mean, it depends. I'm definitely not going to say that it's strictly all about me. I have my own podcast, Plug Plug, mm-hmm. The Maluba Show, where yes. I talk about a variety of topics. Mm-hmm. So I, don't, I d- definitely don't feel like I'm a one-trick pony. There's so much of, you know, that I want to talk about and explore. Mm-hmm. But I feel like HIV and specifically health and wellness are definitely always going to be you know, topics in my realm or something I want to be involved with when even talking to people. So uh, I would say, yeah, more of like health and wellness and justice because Mm -hmm. so many human rights violations. So those will definitely still remain top three. It doesn't have to specifically be HIV, but Mm -hmm. I'm finding ways even within HIV to still uh, tender my part that needs, you know, that communications, that journalism, that hard news, and also is giving back to the community in some sort. Right. Okay, that's good. I honestly hope to see you doing more journalistic work in HIV. Mm-hmm. I hope that that's something that you you actually end up taking up and, and doing uh, for a bit. But let's talk about why this was important. So as you all know who are listening, that this is a podcast for Black women. And it was important. Like, we couldn't let December go by without talking about HIV. Time and time again, and years and years have gone by, and Black women continue to hold the highest infection, new infections in Canada. And so let's discuss why that is. Muluba, you are in the industry. You sat on panels with all these companies like Vive and and all this stuff. What are you hearing? Why do you think that this is the case? Why Black women are vulnerable? Yes. Why are they vulnerable to HIV, particularly in Canada? In Canada. So there are many particular reasons that we're hearing. A lot of them come into the country and then and don't know they're positive. So in their immigration exams, mm-hmm. they actually find out that they're positive. And that could be through, you know, anything that happened in their home country. It could be, you know, they're married to somebody who was uh, cheating on them and brought, you know, HIV into the family. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. I got oh. good there. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, it could be because of an assault, or sometimes it's that they really just don't know. They don't know. Did they step on a needle? What is it? Or, or maybe it's something that's not clear. So we're seeing a lot of that in the immigration tests that come. We're mm-hmm. also seeing a lot of that same situation where 
adultery is being committed in the marriage, but it's here in Canada. So women mm. and family are coming into Canada and everything is fine. And then I don't know if these men get very happy in Canada and meet all mm. these great people. And then again, that brings HIV uh, into the family and the woman can develop that and not realize and it's not something that's common mm-hmm. with women in general, but black women, especially that, oh, I need to go get tested. It's not something we really talk about, especially I know in my culture, it's like, why would you like ever talk to your friends about getting tested or anything? Yes, not, for sure. Then what are you being a slut? Like, what do you like? We don't mm-hmm. do that. We don't have to get tested. Mm-hmm. So testing's not even uh, triggered towards us like they don't even advertise it towards us mm-hmm. so we always just think it's like okay that's like well you know if you're going to bathhouses every weekend so the testing is just not there so it's found later in women so times when they're already sick and yeah and those are like the two instances that I hear most about it's from another mm-hmm. country or here in Canada but women in general are vulnerable mm-hmm. so we have to always think the social determinants of health mm-hmm. first of all you're black yeah and then, <laughs> and, then you're, and then you're a black woman like that Ooh, literally you're like this isn't it the, yeah you're literally like the scum of the earth to most people you know within your community and within um a- other communities Mm-hmm. and that also because you're constantly having to fight and climb up mm-hmm. in here it also does sometimes women we want, want to do everything for everybody else and do stuff for our community and want to fight and climb and and we take a back seat to taking mm-hmm. control of our health mm-hmm. and I'm not saying that like oh you're getting sick and you're not doing anything about it but I do mean like the getting tested and all that it is something that you can miss that maybe I have been exposed right and also yeah the education I'm just hoping the education is out there for uh the black yeah. woman as well I think yeah I think you're right in in the sense that like things have sort of improved a little bit but back then the HIV work wasn't really targeted towards Black women. Mm-hmm. It wasn't specific to Black women. And Black women are constantly left out of anything. And it's just, it's always amazing to me how racism doesn't take a break ever. Absolutely. You know, it's yeah. like there's never a point where I don't got to think about being Black. Yeah. You're always constantly having to consider the fact that, you know, you're you're a woman, but you're also Black. You are an employee, but you're also Black. You went to McDonald's, but you're also Black. Like, <laughs> it's, it's something you're constantly having to consider. I find that there's been headway has been made for women but i think that the the problem that i have in this industry in being in the hiv industry that i've noticed is that a lot of hiv awareness is tailored to tell women to improve or how to prevent or you know it's like always you know like we provide condoms but we don't provide diaphragms type thing right and a lot of people say well that's because people are more comfortable using um condoms as opposed to but who's to say you know why is the why is the awareness always geared towards how women can prevent diseases why is it not that and again i get why because it was missing right 
But then now there isn't a conversation about who is infecting these black women. A lot of these black women are heterosexual. Why are we not having conversations around, you know, that mm-hmm. and and pause men and, and men feeling like they get to just, you know, move around and, and infect everybody, you know? Right, and I want to actually just uh, another thing back to your question before, why do we think it's rising as well? So Mm -hmm. yes, as a Black woman, we... I mean, just as women, we see there's instances uh, that are happening. There's always power imbalances. So Mm. that is another situation where you're telling women, here are the condoms, the male condoms and stuff. So you want us to pull them out and tell the guy to put it on? Mm -hmm. How does that work in the bedroom? He can just refuse and force you down. And that does happen in a lot of instances. It's that power imbalance in Mm -hmm. the bedroom and having those sexual conversations about Mm -hmm. this is, you know, the the way I want it to go. Yes, let's use protection. Mm -hmm. Even in cases of the women who are married and then the man goes outside of the marriage and maybe the women have an inclining about that and want to get tested, but then don't want the man to find out or tell him mm-hmm. to get tested. Like there's mm-hmm. so many power imbalances in these relationships mm-hmm. that we also do have to talk about the sexism of it all. And so mm-hmm. when we're telling women protect yourselves, sometimes I'm like, okay, they might, they're just talking to white women, right? Because, oh, honey, <laughs> honey, can you, exactly. this, can you put on this condom soon? I'm like, yeah. me, am I African? Like, I can't be like, put on yes. this spot. What if he's like, no, I don't want to. And, and, then I say, we, and then I say, no, we're not having sex. How do I know he's going to not let me He's leave? not going like, to beat you up. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Not and, that and, I'm saying every guy would, but let's be real. We have to think about this stuff. Yeah. And, and you're, no, 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 you are completely right just the fact that you have to consider that means that there is something in our culture that is like, it's not safe for me. We have to acknowledge that the truth of the matter is black men, African men, men that are from our cultures don't really understand consent, especially in the context of marriage. I remember when I was younger, I was obsessed with this feminist. Her name is Miriam Atembe. Um, she was she was literally my idol, right? And years later, in my in my twenties, I she talked about marital rape, right? Mm-hmm. And I was like, "What? Hey, yeah, right. <laughs> you know what do you mean marital rape?" And exactly. she 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 went around Uganda and talk to women about marital rape and and women started Ugandan women started coming forward and saying yes this is this is a real thing it happens and I remember there was a lot of activism going on in the country especially in the city around this issue and and then courts were having to sort of figure out okay like do we consider marital rape is it a thing or is it not and the reception that was received was that when you get married, and, and this is why I hate the idea of dowry, because Ugandan men then say, yes. well, I paid by bride price. I should be able to access my, my thing, my property, whenever I like. Right. And so when we have this idea that we go, and I'm not saying that this, this is the fault of dowry. Obviously, dowry is the sub to like the bigger issue. Right, for sure. We start to look at women as though 
when you're married, you are property. When you're with me, I'm you, I own you. When I provide for you, all these stupid things, all these stupid gender roles, that it's a man's job to do this for me. It is a man's job. So then men feel like I do this for you. So I have to have access to everything. Then we have to have a conversation around like, men gotta do better men have to do better you don't own a whole entire human being because (laughs) you're married to them absolutely and even when i mentioned that oh these these protector self ads are tailored to to white girls i yes i think they are but i don't even think they're working for white girls as well because we hear those dorm stories of those white boys that don't take no for an answer Mm -hmm. so it's like men across the board need to do better and we are not we're telling women oh protect yourself a condom this but we're not putting them in the situations like i had a friend who Mm -hmm. knows even what i do for work but said honestly maluba i don't think i would ask a guy have you been tested because then i just feel like he would get offended and be like what does that mean does that mean what you would have and all that and and I understood her, but I was also like, but is that a risk though? So you'd still sleep with him if he takes that question offensively. But I know for me, like I would never go into a bedroom with a guy and mm-hmm. like be like, okay, we're getting sexy time and then disclose to him HIV. Cause you know, sorry for being crude, but he's already hard. He's in the moment. I let him know about this. He, he might get mad, you know, like I want him to know at the beginning when we're in public and everything, I don't want in the bedroom to disclose and I'm in a, a, a closed four wall room with you. But yeah. it's, it's things that we need to make these decisions and we're not actually giving black women those tools in those capacities. And yes, men need to do better men definitely got to do better and we have to find a way to bring men into these conversations because the issue is not that women are not asking men to use protection we have to create safe spaces for women and men have to do that it's not the job of a woman to make herself safe exactly and that maturity needs to go up i don't want to hear that oh it feels nicer without one but Mm -hmm. then you know you've been sleeping around and that's where we also have to have those conversations about yes there are a lot of down low men even black men but uh for example the way hiv got into my family Mm -hmm. is my mom and dad were married my dad when they moved to england was just all around the town Mm -hmm. you know oh i'm handsome i'm handsome and got hiv from one of his mistresses unknowingly gave that to my mom and she unknowingly uh gave that back then they didn't test pregnant pregnant women for it and unknowingly gave it to me either through the birth canal or through breast milk mm-hmm. and i think that but like one time when i mentioned this to somebody they were like oh was your dad he, he was bisexual Meaning that, meaning that my dad must have gotten it from another guy. And I'm like, y'all need to stop with that Mm -hmm. because women do have HIV too. And it's like, do straight men think that you can't get anything Mm -hmm. from women? And I was like, no, my dad was not, I I wish I could say he he was, but no, he had some homophobic tendencies probably, but, um, Mm -hmm. I mean, he had tendencies for every group, I guess, but (laughs) no, it was like specifically like we narrowed it down to where it came from Mm -hmm. and all that. And it was from 
another woman. So there is that thing of where if you hear that you got HIV or someone got HIV from a straight man, mm -hmm. it's going to be a straight man in quotations. Yes. And then straight men don't even think they need to come and talk about HIV and sexual health because no, that's something that only the, that's the gay not, disease. That's the gay disease. Why would I come mm -hmm. into a room and talk about that and all that? That's the, that's some gay shit. But no. So, yeah. Let me talk to you a little bit about that. When you find out that your dad is the one that, you know, was cheating and then gave it to your mom and then in your in turn, your mom giving birth to you positive. Mm -hmm. How do you deal with that? How do you find a way to do you forgive him? Do you there how do you is, deal with those feelings? There was definitely that anger because mm -hmm. it felt like okay this is the reason why it got brought in this is why I never had a choice in it um especially just as a little kid where you're like oh HIVs if you do something I haven't had a chance to live I haven't done anything mm -hmm. and why did I get myself into this situation mm -hmm. the thing with my dad with my mom it was good because we could actually have conversations about it as mm -hmm. I would grow older. But mm -hmm. my mom also didn't have other support. So sometimes she would lean on me a little too much. I remember I'll never forget a conversation where she broke down where now I'm looking back and I'm like, this really should have, have been to like a professional therapist. But it was really mm -hmm. to like her 12 year old daughter where she broke down and she's like, you know what? I knew your dad was cheating. Your dad was beating on me. I knew he was cheating. So I can forgive uh, the HIV coming to me because I could have been smart in that. I knew he was cheating and I wasn't saying use protection. I wasn't, you know, saying no. So I, I get that. I was in the marriage, whatever. And she said, but what I can't forget is that he did that to our child. He didn't think I could just kill him. I'm so mm -hmm. angry. And she just had like a full-blown panic attack. Mm -hmm. And it was really sad. And it was really, um, I felt so bad for her where you feel like, how did your body dismay you in this mm -hmm. situation and do mm -hmm. this to your child? Right. Um, because we now know, obviously, if women live with HIV or pregnant, they can't transmit it to their baby um, mm -hmm. if they're taking medication on pregnancy. So that was hard, but I could have conversations with my mom. The thing about my dad was, no, mommy, when you're old, you become a mommy. No, mommy, no, sweetie, when you're older. I don't want to talk about that. First of all, he was like in denial that I HIV. Like, I think he was like confused. And I was like, sis, come on. Mm -hmm. um, I didn't call him sis. My dad would beat me for that. Yeah. <laughs> but like he would, no, no, when you're older, he would never give me that conversation. Mm -hmm. And I said, listen, this is the shit you've done. Mm -hmm. I already know about it. We have to talk about it because how am I not only going to forgive you, but respect you, but also know myself. And mm -hmm. he would always just, even, you know, when my sister would bring up, you know, the stories of her remembering the abuse going on because she was older. So she actually had flashes of it. Mm -hmm. Oh no, when you're older and wouldn't give us those talks and about the HIV, I felt I need to know, I need to have this a side of you that is not because I know you're not a bad person I know this wasn't intentional and I know you feel really really bad that all of us have it but especially me and I need to see that vulnerability of you but because you're thinking you're the dad you're the older guy you can't make any mistakes mm -hmm. you brush it off and would always say that no no when you're older 
And let me tell you something, Jane. When I was 14 years old, we got a call from England that said my father died from a heart condition. I remember the first thing thinking. I didn't even cry at all. I just continued on the computer. And I, can I curse on the podcast? Yeah, yeah. And I remember thinking, this nigga died on purpose so that he wouldn't have to have this conversation with me. Like, I was like, that's how prideful he is. You know, I was 14. I was getting to like, you know, at 15, 16, be like, yo, daddy, it's time for this, this big girl yeah. talk. I yeah. was like, this nigga's pride Mm -hmm. killed him i'm telling you i was like mm -hmm. I, can't nobody tell me nothing this yeah. is was his last way for me yeah and i mean looking back i'm like girl you're you were crazy yeah but, um, <laughs> but, yeah but, like, still that little thing is in my head where i'm like damn you died with all that info information and and just clearance I could have gotten so when he, I went to his funeral the pastor like even could tell that I had some not hate in my heart but had resentment for this mm, and was as, like, yeah normal yeah and was like you're gone and I don't feel like I have the answers and that was also in the eighth grade so I graduated a few months after mm -hmm. his funeral and um they did a father-daughter dance Oh my goodness. Like, a mess but another girl from ghana um mm -hmm. her family including her dad and mom and all that they came to the graduation but then for the dance party thing they all left the father was like i'm hungry and mm -hmm. she go on. so she's like my dad just left i was like oh okay we'll sit together my dad did but uh, ah! <laughs> you know, ah! let's just, let's i don't mean that's not even funny but it's like, <laughs> know, just but the way you said <laughs> it dad left she's like my, uh, my dad um he just left to told my mom to make uh, some fufu. He said he's hungry. Oh boy. Oh, I was like, you know what? I was like, you know what? <laughs> my daddy died. That's fine with me. Because that's it's worth it. That is so Yeah, funny. so at least I had somebody to sit with where I was yeah. like, oh hell. Like, and that really has and up to this day, I definitely have daddy issues. I'm not going to deny. I oh my god speak on it yes yeah. i definitely have daddy issues mm -hmm. um that stem from trust but also like holding it down for your own like i think i can be in a partnership but yeah. it doesn't mean like oh we're 50 50 partners like still when it comes to me i need to ride or die for myself mm -hmm. because i know ain't nobody got me like me Mm -hmm. Even if I love you and I know say you say it again, me. right? It again. Ain't nobody got me but me. But definitely, if I have kids with a man, uh, I'll have daddy issues with that. But even just with the trust, mm -hmm. uh, there's definitely a lot that my dad knows up in heaven that he's left me with having mm -hmm. to deal with. I do hope that he's proud because I actually do reach out to my resources and. Mm -hmm try to untangle all these webs but i also talk to him up there and say listen you fucked up trash you're a trash father yeah yes trash yeah and he, an even worse husband let's not even get into the type of husband that he was <laughs> yeah. that's a topic for a different day right. now i want to talk about when i was growing up I grew up in Uganda. I grew up during the AIDS epidemic yes. when it was heavy, heavy, heavy. And I remember, one thing I remember about my parents is they always had parties. My parents, my mom loved hosting. She was always hosting mm -hmm. parties uh, from like kindergarten up until 
1996, I was like, that was, that's like I was in SK, right? Mm -hmm. And then one day it just stopped happening. One day I came from school, my cousin and I were in kindergartens, like across this, I don't know why they didn't just put us in the same one, but we were across the street from each other. And we get a call and they say, the driver is going to pick you guys up. Auntie Martha has died. So we go to the funeral and they, you know, it's, she looks different. She doesn't look, she doesn't look healthy. Mm -hmm. I'm like, what happened? What happened? No one's talking about it. After she dies, then, you know, her daughter dies. Then people just keep dying and dying and dying and dying. And I'm like, what's going on? I'm, and I remember being young, you know, five, six, seven, eight, nine, like, you know, yeah. just seeing people die throughout the year. Sometimes we were losing like three people a year. Well, and nobody but was no, talking but about nobody how. was talking about it. Yeah. People would just say, "Oh, she was sick." I remember I had an auntie who was sick. Maluba, I kid you not, she was sick from when I was in kindergarten until I was in like grade seven and left Uganda, oh, wow. or P seven as Ugandans call it. And she was always sick, and I always wondered, like, what's the problem? What's wrong with her? Why is she? People, oh, you know, she's just sick. I wondered about this thing that plagued my family that nobody ever talked about. And for a long time, I really believed that my family was bewitched. Uh, Fast forward, I go back to Uganda. I made a mission. I left Uganda when I was turning 13, came back when I was turning 20. My father never allowed me to go for burials. I could only attend funerals because you know children don't attend burials and there was too many of them anyway yeah yeah i told my dad i want to visit all my relatives who have died Mm. the ones that i didn't get to see and so i went we we drove around and we paid our respects to different relatives different you know different cities and stuff and when i was talking to my dad then he finally said you know what we were sitting, we were standing in a graveyard in my village and there were graves around us, like maybe like 10 or nine to 10. And then finally my dad goes, oh my gosh, this virus. Oh my gosh, this virus has robbed us. And I just, that was the first time at 20 years old, I heard him say, that this this virus that's and he didn't even talk about it yeah yeah but it was just so like... the pain the pain that it caused and i and i thought about experiencing loss at a very young age mm-hmm. because of hiv but not being able to talk about it and that's why that's why i think i'm really passionate about the work yeah of yeah. hiv but all this to say is, do you think that the stigma of it all, oh yeah, the idea that we have to keep quiet, do you think that part of that is tied into our culture as Black people, the fact that we generally we don't talk about difficult topics, absolutely, and because HIV is associated with sex, of course, mm-hmm. we look at it as as a taboo. You, do you think that the reason stigma exists is because of what we expect our cultures to be like or what we expect each other to be as a as a people? 
Yes, I mean, I think stigma exists because I, I feel all cultures and communities definitely have those standards. I think for us, it was this virus that came that we saw was highly affecting Black people, especially in the African countries. And some people can say they brought AIDS to us, whatever happened. Oh, they say somehow. white people brought AIDS to kill us. Yes, yeah. They say yes, that, yes, 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 yes. I don't, I'm not saying that <laughs> I don't believe it. But oh, keep yes, going. yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. it has to be a conversation for another day. About oh, yes. Our conspiracy <laughs> theories. But yes. um, <laughs> it was highly proportioning us and it wasn't looked at as a good thing because, again, and it was associated with um with sex a lot sometimes drugs and you know we don't do that for sure mm. um and it was something that was embarrassing and if you had instead of having compassion for somebody who's living with hiv or aids mm-hmm. um especially even back then where it could be a terminal disease at the time mm-hmm. um instead of having that comp- compassion it was like run away and then suddenly the whole family has aids and there still was those myths and yes. misconceptions because people were not getting educated that if you do touch them Mm-hmm. If you do do that, you know, I remember a boy, well, he was like a young man, got AIDS, I remember this story, and then people started, like, stoning his mother when she would, like, come home from the market, being like, she must have AIDS, too, and I'm like, they were trying to execute her because of what, like, it was just, we weren't supportive of each other in that mm-hmm. way, and that stigma still exists mm-hmm. to this day. And within families, because, you know, when my dad passed away, it was not something we mentioned that Mm -hmm. the heart condition was connected to the HIV. Um, I've lost a lot of uh, family members as well on my mom's side uh, because of HIV. And it's not something that we always just, you know, outright talk about. And I remember an aunt that lives here, Mm -hmm. like a half aunt in some way, called me one day. And I didn't recognize the number. And she said, oh, it's your auntie, so-and-so. I listened to you on CBC radio. And she said, you're just your pride, your pride and your respect and your courage. I just, I can hear that that almost saved your life in a way. And I'm so proud and happy for you. Mm-hmm. I, and then she said, I kind of wish that my mom had that lost that shame and never blamed herself for the virus or felt like that was something inwards and I feel like Mm -hmm. as a family we might have extended that for her because Mm -hmm. it's like she's like I'm ashamed I'm all of that and we're like yeah you should be ashamed let's keep it a secret let's keep it a secret they're Mm -hmm. almost enabling it in a way and Mm -hmm. I didn't even know her mom was positive I knew her mom passed away from chicken pox as like Mm -hmm. a 50 year old woman so I was like damn but yeah her mom was positive and so that was kind of how she disclosed to me that but you see that so much and it's such a shame because that outer stigma can become inner stigma and we Mm -hmm. are very much in our community very behind that I am seeing now an an uprising in black women Mm -hmm. supporting each other Mm -hmm. I think Mm -hmm. in those journeys but Mm -hmm. it's still something that stems in our generation and uh, it's a generational curse that I'm hoping we can break Oh, I'm with you on that one. But let's switch gears and talk about, you know, the the misconceptions around HIV. Mm-hmm. Now, you've talked about for like a few seconds, you said, you know, nowadays women are giving birth. But 
nowadays women are really giving birth to HIV negative babies and they're giving birth naturally it's no longer that they have to do c-sections correct yes correct because um one of the reasons why uh, it would transmit through birth was of course whatever like you're eating or going through the baby is in the womb but also mm-hmm. they would say through the vaginal tract when you're coming down because uh, mm-hmm. that was where you would have high HIV blood cells but if a right. woman is on medication her entire pregnancy um, is undetectable which means mm-hmm. you have low um, HIV virus in your body there wouldn't be any in the vaginal tract that they could just give birth uh, through the vagina mm-hmm. and not the c-section so that's definitely one thing that uh again because there's some women in our cultures i'm sure some of you have cultures like this where c-section is frowned upon mm-hmm. um especially if you don't yeah if you don't medically really like need it like if the baby's not t- turning over mm-hmm. and then it's a talk of Right now, if you're undetectable, mm-hmm. you cannot transmit HIV. Sorry to, to stop un- you, Moluba. So yes? let's talk about what does undetectable mean. That's what, you yes. yes. Undetectable means that you have low HIV virus cells in your body. I mm-hmm. believe the count is, the count always changes for some people, below 200, below 40. I tend to gear around the below 40. And if you're undetectable, that means that you do not have enough HIV in your body mm-hmm. to, I mean, really affect your immune system, but also mm-hmm. transmit to anybody else. Now, the reason this is not considered a cure is because you continue to take the medications to keep the HIV virus suppressed, yes. to keep it low. So if you stop the medications because you're like, I'm cured, it's barely in my body, it will start copying itself, you know, making mm-hmm. Of itself and will rise up. So that is why we say undetectable, like it's basically not there, but it is um, still there in the body. And that's why it's not a cure. Right. That was my first question when, it, when I heard about it. So yeah. with undetectable, we say undetectable equals un- untransmittable. Somebody who's undetectable cannot sexually transmit the virus to anyone through vaginal sex, anal sex oral sex i don't know the other types of sex but let me know if there's more i'm always interested um (laughs) so yeah uh, cannot transmit that is a guarantee when it comes to breastfeeding i am going to tell you that it is a very very low risk but we are at where jane and i are in ontario it Mm -hmm. still is under the ministry guidelines that it is recommended you formula feed in some other places and countries, they mm-hmm. might be low on food resources. Like um, yeah, in in Kenya, it is it is legal for a woman to breastfeed her baby while HIV positive because she may not have access to formula. She may not have access to it. She may be on medication, so it's low risk as well. And mm-hmm. they'll still get some proteins from that. So it's different. In Canada, it's a different story because they feel like, oh, you have access to a protein. They do know it's low risk. We'll see how it processes. Um, I do hear of a few doctors that do support women if they want to breastfeed. You just mm-hmm. have to like go to the hospital every month, apparently. Mm-hmm. Which, uh, But in Ontario, you can get free formula for mm-hmm. your baby through an uh, on like a, a government system if you're an HIV positive woman you can get free formula for one year 
which I already played. I'm like, okay, I'm going to access that, but they're going to have to give me it for one and a half year. Because mm. I'm not about to tell my baby at one year, I'm cutting you off. <laughs> and, I'm not, and I'm not paying for it. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah. But yes, yeah, so that's where like it's low, low risk. So mm-hmm. um, so yeah, so Undetectable is a game changer. Mm-hmm. And that is also part of the extension of why women living with HIV can have kids. But yeah, they can just have a healthy baby. It's uh, mm-hmm. We're not really having a lot of... AIDS babies in Canada, at least uh, for for several years. AIDS babies, I know. <laughs> oh my God. I went too far. Okay, yikes. <laughs> um, so th- this is good. This is good because we're now letting go of some myths. So, so just so you guys know, women living with HIV can very well have vaginal births. They they can give birth to babies that are hiv negative and those babies can have a full life but even the black women even sorry not just black women anybody living with hiv is having a full life and they live as long as anybody else so long as they uh keep up with their medication get keep up with their doctor and get their blood work done but times have changed are you happy with the progression we've made in hiv and where do we need to be headed in, in that sense? It's mm, a tricky question. And I don't want to offend anybody or offend anybody's work. I'm definitely proud of how far we co- we've come and mm-hmm. some of advancements that have been made. Mm-hmm. But no, I'm not happy with it. Mm. Could have been. Please elaborate. Yeah. There, first of all, I mean, if you watch these documentaries or read these books, you would see that, like, Black people had to beg for, just even, like, Black people in, like, U.S. communities. When mm-hmm. aid was first start, starting to go for HIV resources, it was to these white communities. It was to these white homosexual boys, which were still, mm-hmm. you know, persecuted in their own way, but these were white people. So Black people had to beg for these resources and fight mm-hmm. for these and start their groups. Also, you would see activists there would be mm-hmm. these research conferences where these researchers would go and there'd be a nice buffet dinner and all that. Mm-hmm. And activists would have to go and like throw blood on the researchers to protest. There was one time where somebody like he threw his boyfriend's ashes on the food at the buffet. Mm-hmm. Like they didn't even have time to grieve their friends that were passing away because they had to be like, you guys are having huge conferences and writing these books about, oh, the new virus and all that. But you're not bringing anything to us. Mm-hmm. Where are these medications in the pharmacies? Where is this actual help? And mm-hmm. so I'm not going to say like it was some easy shit and let's all celebrate. You know, I'm not happy with the way that it went and it, it's it's still going because we still have criminalization, which I know we're going to talk about yes. eventually, but that's like stuff from like the 1980s that hasn't been updated, um, even mm-hmm. though all this HIV information has been updated um, and advancements. I mean, I definitely want, you know, more medication options and all that, but it's not even those things that I'm, like, rushing. It's mm-hmm. more so of our social inequities that I feel like we failed at. Yeah. Um, failed at, but, like, I, I'm not going to say I'm happy with the changes. There's still mm-hmm. a lot of racism oh, within yes. and out of the community. If you think about the HIV work, particularly here in Canada, Mm -hmm. the Black Coalition for AIDS Prevention, I think, started in 1990. That was only 
30 years ago. The Africans in Partnership Against AIDS uh, began in 1992. So that's just to give you guys context about when Black people really had to create HIV services specifically for them because there was not there was there was no space for them gay white men didn't make space for black people exactly. in their stuff white people in general even though it was a disease that was ravishing through black people they didn't make space for us Sorry, and, go ahead. and you would think because people with, living with hiv were being stigmatized from all areas mm -hmm. so you'd think we'd all gather and unite together but when those black organizations started and mm -hmm. would apply for government funding or maybe the mm -hmm. government would be like oh like this looks good or we're gonna give some money to them they would actually get flack from some of these organizations that say they they include everybody but we're mainly white because mm -hmm. it's like they're taking money from us so exactly. it was like even from you know outside they're getting that stigma but even within inside the racism uh, didn't take a break yeah right, yeah <laughs> it didn't take a break and we're still you know working towards that and working towards an, a huge thing is just dismantling the stigma and i'm not saying it's going to completely evaporate because mm -hmm. racism doesn't take a day off sexism Ooh! doesn't take a day off so Dead. i don't expect i don't expect hiv stigma to but mm -hmm. i definitely uh think that it's not on our list of priorities because you will have you know people that are total oh stop the racists and all that mm -hmm. but we'll also like throw out a a, a joke uh, or a tweet about hiv and make fun of like oh. his fans you know so yes. we need to work on that as well i mean you're right i think i'm with you in the sense that like you know i, I think essentially what you're saying is that we have a long way to go as a people yeah. and not just in medication and things but just even socially how we deal with hiv particularly where blackness is concerned <laughs> thank you so much for coming now you're gonna come back and we're gonna cover um another topic next week we're gonna come back and we're gonna cover more of this hiv you know it's a topic that there's so many dimensions we could do racism and hiv we could do mass incarceration and hiv you could do black women in hiv education like there's just so many uh sectors so thank you for coming and really just uh educating me first of all and also our our listeners on the complexities of it all and we'll be back Awesome. Thank you so much for having me. And mm -hmm. listeners, thank you for listening. And you could also message me and reach out if you do need direct resources. Mm -hmm. um, I'm supporting all of you, whether you're living with HIV or not. Mm -hmm. And please make sure to follow me on all social media platforms at yes. It's Maluba, I-T-S-M-U-L-U-B-A. Yes, and check out her podcast, The Maluba Show. Oh, she yes. She's on uh, Spotify. She's on Apple. She's on. Are you on Deezer? I don't know about what Deezer is, but I'm okay, on but podcast. I'm on Amazon podcast. Yeah. I need to get on Deezer apparently, <laughs> but I'll work on that. Um, but yes, no, check out Muluba's podcast. You can actually find me on there. I uh, I was on yes. an episode, but she has a lot of really great guests. And Muluba interviews everybody. You can come here for all your black women stuff. And, you know, sometimes I talk to men as well, you know. But um, typically it is a black woman podcast. Podcast, but it, so you can but you can go to Maluba for everybody. Maluba talks to everyone. <laughs>
<laughs> she she talks to everybody. She <laughs> she wants to get the 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 things from, yes. from everyone. So that's where I go to when I'm looking for information that um, has to do with the the rest of the world. Oh, when I need yes, to go yes. out and get out of my yes. blackety black <laughs> world, Muluba is always there with the information. So please. Go support her. Um, she told you her social media and reach out to her. She has a lot of really good information. And we will see you guys next week. See you soon. Bye. Stay black.